you can go pretty much anywhere and you are sure to find some doors. In this room right now, there, I, I know I look like a cabinet attendant, but there are six doors uh, that you can see in here. And, and I want you to think about it for a second. What would life be like without your front door or your garage door? What would life be like without your bedroom or your bathroom door, your car door? Uh, we take doors for granted, uh, but they really, if you think about it, they really serve an amazing purpose. You know what doors allow us to do? Doors allow us to walk through walls. That's amazing. Think about it. Uh, in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes seven great I am statements. And so far in this series uh, called Selfies of the Savior, we have uh, explored two of them. We looked at his uh, saying, I am the bread of life. That was the first message in this series in which Jesus compares himself to the manna that miraculously fed the people of Israel during their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness after they were set free from their bondage in Egypt prior to their entering into uh, the promised land. Last week, we looked at Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, in which Jesus uses that amazing ceremony of illumination that took place at the temple of Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles. He used that as an occasion to announce the ways in which he, Jesus, is present with, how he, Jesus, protects, how he, Jesus, guides those who come to him and follow him, just as the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke had done for the people of Israel during their time in the wilderness. This week, in John chapter 10, Jesus announces, I am the door. I am the gate. I'm the gate of the sheep. And that has a backstory as well. So what is the story behind that statement? And why is it important for us today? Well, I think that this picture I'm about to show you um, it is a good place to start. In ancient Israel, and it's not just in ancient Israel, in the Holy Land today, the place where sheep were kept at night, the sheepfold featured an enclosed wall. Now, in, in the ancient past, although this is still true for Bedouin, Bedouin tribes today, the, it featured an enclosed wall um, often built out of stone with a single opening through which the sheep could enter uh, and exit. Typically, the shepherd would actually sleep in the opening. And the reason that the shepherd would sleep in the opening at night is to make sure that the sheep stayed in and that any predators would stay out. Years ago, um, there, there was a really famous uh, preacher, a guy by the name of G. Campbell Morgan. He decided that um, he was going to take a, a transatlantic uh, cr uh, crossing. Um, I don't know if he was going to Europe or coming back from Europe, but he found himself, uh, didn't know this was going to happen, didn't um, make his reservation at the time knowing this, but he found himself on board this ship with a biblical scholar, one of the, the most famous biblical scholars of the last century, a guy by the name of George Adam Smith. 
And the two of them got into a conversation, started talking shop a little bit. And Smith told Morgan about a time that he'd gone to the Holy Land and met a shepherd and got talking with him. The shepherd showed him his sheepfold. And uh, when, uh, when Smith looked at this sheepfold, he saw this opening in the wall. And he said, is that where the sheep go in and out? And the shepherd said, yes. He said, they're perfectly safe doing that. And Smith said, there isn't any door. And the shepherd said, I am the door. Now, what you need to know about that is, that man was not a Christian. That guy had never read the New Testament. He was completely unfamiliar with this statement of Jesus. But he was speaking from personal experience. I am the door. And he went on to explain, at night when all the sheep are safe inside, I just lie in the open space. No sheep goes out and no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I am the door. You know, doors, if you think about it, um, doors are, are kind of a familiar image. Um, uh, they serve not only as, you know, real objects, but uh, they have kind of a symbolic function. Uh, also, doors and gates are familiar images, for instance, for entering the kingdom of heaven. I mean, think about it. We, we all know the, the jokes and the stories and the cartoons. Where is St. Peter sitting when people arrive in heaven? At the pearly gates, that's right. And that picture of the pearly gates is inspired by a description of the New Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 21, verse 21, where uh, God speaking through John, the author of the Gospel of John and, and the three epistles of John, uh, writes, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. That's where we get pearly gates. And each of the gates made of a single pearl and the streets of the city were pure gold. That's where we get the picture of the streets of gold in heaven as well, like transparent glass. Um, we, you know, think of, uh, of even literature, and children's literature, in the, in the story of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. You may have seen the movie as well. Lucy and Peter and Susan and Edmund discover a, a wardrobe in a spare room in the house where they're staying. And what they discover is that that wardrobe actually is an unexpected passageway leading into the land of Narnia which, of course, you know, is the kingdom of Aslan, stands for the kingdom of God. And we find, you know, images like this in films. I mean, it's a common trope in films and, and in uh, literature and so on. Doorways as being passageways to a different world, and oftentimes doors, gates being actually the way into heaven. Now, when Jesus tells us, I am the door, He's not just drawing on those kind of tropes and images and metaphors, but he's taking them, again, to another level because he is announcing that he personally is the entryway to that blessed life that I think every single one of us longs for. Every single one of us 
longs for uh, a blessed life, a, a life uh, that is characterized by love, where there's happiness and fulfillment, where we're not separated from those we love and all of the rest. And Jesus says, I'm the entryway into that thing that you're looking for. Paul writes in Ephesians 2.18, for through him, listen to that you know, image, through him, we both, and when he says we both, he's writing about Jews and Gentiles. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That's what Jesus is saying. I am the door. Jesus' statement that he is the door, by the way, and think about this. It is uh, at one and the same time an image that is both exclusive and inclusive. Now, why do I say that? It's exclusive insofar as Jesus says he's the door. He doesn't say, I'm a door. He doesn't say there are all kinds of doors, and no matter which door you walk through, you're going to end up in the same place. He really implies by saying, I am the door. And we'll see this in some of the other I am statements of Jesus as well. He implies that there isn't another door to get to that place. Peter says in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Man, that sounds exclusive. And it is. But don't stop there. Hear Jesus out. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, anyone, he will be saved. Now, that anyone is clearly inclusive. It includes everybody who wants to be included. And that's the extraordinary thing, that God in Jesus Christ provides a way, an entryway into that blessed life that we all look for, in, into the kingdom of heaven, but he doesn't push us through or force us through. He says anyone who wants to can enter uh, in. And that's really important for every single one of us to know because there is no reason that that anyone shouldn't include you. It is an invitation to everyone who's here who's never walked through that door, who hasn't discovered the love of God through Jesus Christ. It's a door through which you could, could walk. And, and that's one of the really cool things. It's one of the reasons why I uh, have really come to love this particular I am statement of Jesus because think of it, I am the door. Everybody knows what doors do. Everybody understands how doors work. You have a little kid, you know, a toddler who's learned to crawl. They know how to make their way through a door. You don't have to sit down and explain. Now, doors are these things with hinges and knobs and all this kind of stuff. They just see an open space and zoom, they're through it. And that's the purpose of a door. Doors are there to go through. We don't have to overthink it. A lot of us, you know, we resist becoming followers of Christ because we overthink it. You know, you don't have to be a perfect person to walk through a door. You could just go through it. 
You don't have to have a degree in theology. You don't have to read Greek or Hebrew to go through a door. Anybody can go through a door. And guess what? You can do it easily. And you can do it instantly. And Jesus is saying, there's a way to God, and it is not complicated, and it's not difficult, and you don't have to make a big thing out of it. It is a gift. It's a, a, an entryway through which you are invited to come inside. But here's the thing. You do have to enter. You, know, you can't just say, wow, that's a really fine door. Gee, I wonder what's on the other side of the door. I wonder who put that door there, etc., etc. I wonder if anything would happen if I just stood outside and looked and waited. No, you, you have to enter. And that's why Jesus says, if, and I, I love these if statements. They're, they're conditional statements. They're, they're promises with a premise. There's an if. Here's the if. If anyone enters. And what happens if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will be saved. Now we're going to look at what that means in a minute, but before, you know, the question is this, it's symbolic language. I'm the, the door. So how do, we, how do we enter? What does that actually look like? How do you actually do that? Donald Gray Barnhouse, um, great Presbyterian pastor, again from an earlier generation, um, used to, to picture it sometimes like this. He, he said, imagine that the cross has a door in it. And all you're asked to do is just go through. On one side, the side that's facing you, there's written an invitation Whosoever will may come. Whoever wants to can enter. And you stand there with your sin upon you, and you wonder if you should enter or not. And again, here's where we overthink it. You know, should I wait until I, I uh, am no longer a, a sinner, like forever, before I go through the door? Or should I wait until this gets fixed or I have an answer to that question or, or whatever? You stand there with your sin upon you. You wonder if you should enter or not. Finally, you do. And as you do, the burden of your sin drops away. And you are safe and you are free. And, and joyfully, you turn around and you see written on the back of the cross through which you have just entered the words, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. You know, that's, that's amazing that um, we're given an opportunity to choose to enter in, in through the door. But once we enter in, we discover that that choice that we made was something that was part of the sovereign plan of God from the beginning of time. He'd chosen us in Christ. And all you have to do is walk through that door and you'll discover that God chose you from before the foundations of the world. And I want to encourage you if, you, if you've never done this before, 
to do that. Enter in. Imagine that there's a door in the cross and all God asks for you not to overthink it, not to wait until all of your sin is away, your life has changed, you've got stuff figured out, you have the answer to all your questions, you walk through the door and as you do, that's when the sin drops away, the burden of all of that and you discover you're chosen in Christ. Enter in today. Now why? You know, the question is why would you want to do that? And Jesus answers that question when he says, I'm the door. It's because when we enter into the kingdom of heaven through Christ, we are saved, we are set free, and we are loved and fully cared for. We're saved, we're set free, we are loved and, and fully cared for. I'm the door, Jesus says, listen, I, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he says, they will be saved and they will go in and out and they will find pasture. Now, to, to understand this a little bit, we're going to be looking next week at I Am the Good Shepherd. We'll, we'll be digging a little deeper you know, into the whole thing about sheep and shepherds and so on. But for our purposes uh, this morning, one of the things that's really important for us to know is sheep are really defenseless. I mean, think of it. If you've ever, you know, seen sheep, spent time around sheep or whatever, they don't have a whole lot of, of stuff going for themselves in terms of being able to protect themselves. They are super vulnerable and defenseless animals. Sheep ends up on its back. It stays there. And I'll tell you something, in a harsh environment where food and water are scarce, and that's the, you know, the Middle East, in that harsh environment where, where food and water are scarce and predators are abundant, sheep are only safe when they were cared for by a shepherd who kept them in, in the fold. Um, I had doubt. Uh, Little, little bit of fun with this uh, this week. I didn't include all of this in your version notes, although I, I did put a few links for, for your entertainment and education uh, this week. Uh, but I, I did a Google search of sheep predators and ended up, you know, discovering all kinds of amazing stuff. Some pretty gross pictures, um, uh, you know, if you do an image search, but, um, but also some fascinating articles. There are all kinds of, of articles out there by you know, people that raise sheep and, and so on. And, uh, you know, they talk about the, the ways that you, um, you can care for sheep and so on. Talk about how many sheep each year just in the United States are killed by, by predators, how much is lost, how much income is lost because of predators and everything. You know what the best defenses for uh, sheep are in terms of, you know, protecting them from predators? Shepherds. Uh, including sheep dogs and so on, and sheep folds, fenced in areas where they're safe. And the thing is, when, when we enter into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ, through the cross of Christ, one of the things that, that I think we, we discover uh, is that, that we are saved. And, and when we hear that word saved, one of the things <clears throat> I think that that is helpful to realize is that means that we are also safe. 
We, we are saved. What are we saved from? We are saved immediately from the penalty of our sin. You know, God forgives us. If you are in, in Christ, you know, the old is, is past and, and God, everything's become fresh and new. We confess our sins. You know, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. We are immediately saved from the penalty of our sins. That's called, there's a, a big theological word for that, justification. And what justification means is, God treats me just as if I'd, see that justified, just as if I'd never sinned at all. Because when, when he sees me because of Jesus' death on the cross, there's kind of this substitution that takes place. It's called substitutionary atonement where, you know, Jesus takes all of my sin and takes the punishment for all of that. And when, when God looks at Jesus on the cross, that's what he sees. And when he sees us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. We are saved immediately from the penalty of, of sin. Uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit, we are saved over time. This is a lifelong process. But those of you who've been in Christ for a while and truly you know, have surrendered your life to him, know that it is a real process with real results that you can see. We are saved over time from the power of sin. That's what the Bible refers to. Again, this is you know, one of those big theological terms, sanctification. It means I'm in the process of becoming more and more Christ-like as the power of sin kind of loses its grip on me as you know, that old person you know, starts to diminish as we discover more and more of our identity in Christ and our character shaped by, by Christ. That's sanctification. And then finally, we are even saved in the end. Either when Christ returns or uh, when by God's grace we enter into the, the kingdom of heaven uh, through our death in Christ. We're saved in the end even from the presence of sin. Right now, we live in a fallen world. And, and sin is inescapable. We're sinners living, you know, with other sinners in a fallen world. Uh, there is something that our hearts long for. And what is that? The, you know, this place where sin doesn't have, and death doesn't have a grip or a hold on me anymore. And that's called our glorification. Jesus said, I'm the door. If anyone enters through me, they will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from... Uh, the penalty of sin, saved from the power of sin, saved ultimately even from the presence of sin. And if that weren't enough, we aren't just saved, Jesus said, we are set free. Listen to what he says. They will be saved and they will go in and out and find pasture. You know, that, that saying, this, they will go in and out, this is a beautiful picture of the freedom that we have in Christ. Think about it for a second. To go in but not to be able to come out, that's prison. To go out but not be able to come back, that's exile. But thanks be to God in Jesus Christ, 
we are truly free to come in, to go out. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore, the psalmist says. Psalm 121. It's a beautiful picture of the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. For those of you who have been on the men's or women's encounter or in consi- are considering doing so, you know, the theme verse around which every, the whole weekend is organized, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom. <coughs> for freedom Christ has set us free. You know what freedom in Christ is like? Somebody's put it like this. You are free to go wherever you please and do whatever you want in the service of God. <coughs> you know, it's a, it's a funny thing about the freedom um, that we have in Christ because uh, part of the appeal <coughs> of sin is that it seems to promise us freedom. I mean, people think, well, you know, if I'm not a Christian, I can do whatever I want. I don't have to tell, I don't have to have the Bible tell me what to do. God doesn't have to tell me what to do. You know, conventional this, that doesn't have to tell. I can do whatever I want to. And it looks like there's just so much freedom in that. The problem with that freedom is you are free to make self-destructive choices that will hurt you and will hurt other people. And in your freedom, when you choose to do that, you know what happens? Instead of you, you having a world that's like this with everything open, your options start to narrow more and more and more as you live with the consequences of your mistaken choices. On the other hand, you have Jesus. I am the door. It sounds so in- inclusive. It sounds so limiting. Jesus says, you know, the way is narrow. But the thing is, you know, it, it's, uh, it's like looking through uh, a tube that opens up like this. The opening may be narrow, but when you go through that, what you discover is as you surrender yourself to God that suddenly you have so many choices that were never available to you before. You know, think about your budget. You're free to blow all your money on whatever you want to, but I'll tell you something, you'll be free for about a month or two. And then the rest of your time, you will be in bondage. But you know what? If, if you live like no one else, so you can live like no one else, as Dave Ramsey says, you know, if you make wise choices, manage your finances God's way, you will find your options open up. You have so much more. You know, more to share, more to, to give, um, more with which to en- enrich your life and enrich the lives of, of other people. And that's true with every, you know, area of our lives. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, they will be saved from the penalty the power, the presence of sin. They will go in and out. They will find freedom that they never knew before. And they'll find pasture. You know, in Jesus Christ, one of the things that those of us who've entered into that door have discovered is that when we are followers of Christ, we are nurtured and we are fed and we are loved and we are cared for in a way that we didn't think was even imaginable. 
And those words, you know, from Psalm 23 take on a new and much deeper meaning. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want for anything. Because in Christ, all of my heart's deepest needs are met. What I, what I want to say today is this. I, I really hope that, that you have entered into God's kingdom through that door that is Jesus Christ to find the life that you have always wanted, the life that you have longed for. And again, if you haven't, I invite you to do that today. Once we have done it, does that mean, you know, like... Okay, that's all dialed in, got that box ticked, I'm good to go. Or is there something left for us to do? I think there is. And it's something that's left to do, not in order to earn God's favor, because, you know, there's nothing you need to do. God loves you. God already loves you perfectly. There's nothing you can do that will make God love you anymore. There's nothing you can do that will... Make God love you any less than he does right now because he loves you perfectly. So anything that we do is in response to God's love. It's not in order to earn or think that we deserve God's love. But what is there left to do for me? And this is a very personal part of this message for me and something you know I've really wanted to share with you guys uh, as I you know, kind of uh, am beginning to wrap up my ministry here at Stonebridge. For me, life's greatest privilege has been and remains and I hope will continue to be standing by the door and inviting others to come inside. Sam Shoemaker was um, an Episcopal priest. He is probably best known for his work with Alcoholics Anonymous. I think he made some major contributions like the big you know, book, the blue book, and, and other stuff for those of you who, who are familiar with the 12-step uh, process. And um, he, he wrote uh, a piece that really, really means a lot to me. And it really puts into words um, how I've thought about my own ministry for many, many, many years now. And I want to share it with you today um, because nothing really would make me happier than to have Sam Shoemaker's words inspire you to stand by the door, to invite those you know to come inside and to find the life that they've longed for, the life that they you know, always felt was there waiting for them, but they just didn't know how to get to it. One of the things I, I really like about this is that you don't have to be an ordained pastor to do what Sam Shoemaker is talking about here. There's a sense in which maybe um, uh, it's easier for you in your everyday lives to do what Shoemaker is, is talking about here because you have so many more... I spend almost all my time with church people. And you're a great bunch and stuff, but... You know, by God's grace, you're saved. It's, it's great. But, you know, there are huge numbers of people that you know who aren't, 
who don't have a meaningful relationship with God or, or Christ, or they're cynical, or they're turned off, or they've been hurt, or they misunderstand, or they've overthought, or they think they have to be this or that in order to go through the door. It, you know, it would just make me um, so happy if it were the case that a part of my legacy would just to share this with you so that you could embrace it as your own understanding of your own calling as a Christian. Shoemaker writes, I stand by the door. I know neither go, uh, go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which people walk when they find God. There is no use my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside. And they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. All that so many ever find is only the wall where the door ought to be. And they creep along the wall like blind men with outstretched, groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing that there must be a door, yet they never find it. So I stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for people to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing that anyone can do is to take hold of one of those blind, groping hands and put it on the latch. The latch that only clicks and opens to that person's own touch. You know, people die outside the door. Like starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter. They die for want of what is within their grasp. They live on the other side of it. They live there because they haven't found it, the door. And nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find him. So I stand by the door. Go, go in, great saints. Go all the way in. Go way down into the cavernous cellars, way up into the spacious attics. It is a vast, roomy house, this house where God is. Go to the deepest of hidden casements of withdrawal, of silence, of sainthood. Some must inhabit those inner rooms and know the depths and heights of God and call out to the rest of us how wonderful it is. Sometimes I take a deeper look in. Sometimes I venture in a little further. But my place is closer to the opening, 
So I stand by the door. And there's another reason why I stand there. Some people get partway in and become afraid. Lest God and zeal of his house devour them. For God is so very great. And asks all of us. And these people feel a cosmic claustrophobia and they want to get out. Let me out, they cry. And and the people way inside only terrify them more. Somebody has to stand by the door to tell them that they're spoiled for the old life, that they've seen too much. One taste of God and nothing but God will do anymore. Somebody must must be watching for the frightened who, who seek to sneak out just where they came in to tell them how much better it is inside. People too, too far in don't see how near these are to leaving because they're all preoccupied with the wonder of it all. And somebody has to watch for those who have entered the door but would like to run away. So for them too, I stand by the door. I, I admire the people who go way in, but I wish they wouldn't forget how it was before they got in. Then they, they'd be able to help the people who haven't yet even found the door or the people who want to run away again from God. See, you can go in too deeply and stay in too long and forget the people outside the door. As for me, I shall take my old, accustomed place near enough to God to hear him, to know that he's there, but not so far from people as not to hear them and remember that they're there too. Where? Outside the door. Thousands of them. Millions of them. But more importantly for me, one of them, two of them, Ten of them, whose hands I'm intended to put on the latch. So I shall stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. So I stand by the door.